Welcome to Ambitious Motherhood, the podcast for the mom who is chasing after her dreams in motherhood and business. This is your permission slip to pursue all that you were created to be and live out your calling, both in and out of your home. Here's your host, Katie Fleming. Welcome back to the Ambitious Motherhood Podcast. I am so excited to talk with Rachel Bailey today. Let me tell you a little bit about Rachel. So Rachel is a parenting specialist who has been improving the dynamics in families for a decade. Besides being a mother of two, she also has the master's degree in clinical psychology, a certification in positive discipline. In the past, she has supported families as an ADHD coach, in-home mentor, and therapist. These days, Rachel teaches actionable, long-lasting tools for raising responsible, resilient, confident kids. And that is exactly what we are going to be talking about today. I hope that you walk away from this episode feeling in control and empowered in your parenting. We're going to talk about managing your own stress and emotions and how that can help and affect your children. We're going to talk about instilling confidence in our kids. And that's actually going to be weaved throughout the entire episode. We're going to talk tips and tools to help you and your kids manage some of those mm, resistant hot button kind of areas in your home, maybe getting off electronics, cleaning up the house or some other task that you just can't seem to get them to do without some resistance. So I am excited for you to dive into this conversation with us today and cannot wait to hear on social media what kind of ahas or encouragement or inspiration you get from today's episode. So definitely make sure to tag myself at Katie Fleming and at Rachel Bailey Parenting. Okay. So let's get to this episode. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, of course. So why don't you start off with sharing how you got started in this whole ambitious motherhood journey, what life looks like for you today and what your expertise is? Yeah, so I actually started my journey um, being an ambitious mom probably about 14 years ago. I left the corporate world and decided I wanted to enter the field of psychology. And I actually started um, working with kids and teens directly. But about five years into my career, I realized that if I worked with parents, I could have actually have a bigger impact on the entire family dynamic. So I would say about nine or 10 years ago now, I started my own business working directly with parents. And my goal is to give those really clear, you know, hands-on tips for raising kids who are responsible, who are resilient, and who feel good about themselves. Yeah, I love that. So responsible, resilient, and feel good and confident. Yeah. Would you say those are the most important characteristics in a child today? I think they're hard to come by today. I think parents want their kids to be most more responsible, which absolutely makes sense. We want to raise kids who are successful and have good relationships and can interact well. But I, I think that a lot of kids do struggle with the resilience piece and the confidence piece, which actually impacts their ability to be responsible and to do the things that parents want them to do. Yeah. So I definitely want to get into this more in the episode about how we can really, as parents, foster those characteristics. But I would love to hear how your journey has looked in your business. What has kind of led you to the point today? Did you always start out in the way you serve your clients today and kind of share with us what that is as well? I mean, I like I said, I started with, with kids and with teens, so I definitely didn't start with parents. But um, I realized pretty quickly that parents kept coming to me and asking for questions, asking questions. And I actually started doing parenting workshops before I was a parent. And then I started doing consultations. 
and really just realized that need that was there. You know, there's this cliche, there's no manual for parenting. And I was like, wait a second, I could provide this manual. I could tell parents exactly what, what needs to happen. So definitely my business has shifted a lot. I used to do more traditional one-on-one, like the therapy model types of consultations. Um, now I try to do more group um, coaching and more, um, I actually have a, a parenting academy and that's where I spend most of my time. And that's very different than the traditional model that I used to use. Yeah, for sure. So what would you say the person you help, what is that biggest transformation you're able to help them with? You know, the, the truth be told, the parents who get the best results in their kids are honestly really focused on what is in their own control, which is often themselves. So I would say the families who've seen the biggest change have learned how to manage their stress a little bit better. They may have cut down on some things in their lives. They may have reprioritized things. Those are the families that are the happiest. And the parents who get the kids who behave the best tend to be the parents who work on a lot of their own stress. In addition to, I certainly focus on the tools for helping kids and motivating better behavior in kids. But it's really, it comes down to how are we dealing with our own stuff as well? Yeah. Oh yeah. So I've often thought that parenting is so, it's like the the best personal development you can have because it like, you look at this child and they're mirroring back to you your own stuff, you know? That is so true. And I always say like, before you're a parent, you can shove everything under the bed. Like you just, all your stuff, you just shove it under the bed. But then the kids come along and they crawl under the bed and pull it all out. And you just, it's all over the place and you can't get rid of it unless you work on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and even like my oldest, she is totally me and everything I did in childhood, like with my parents, like I'm totally reaping that now tenfold. She's just a strong-willed little female. And it's just, I saw a meme the other day or something that was like, having a daughter is like arguing with a tiny version of yourself or something oh. like that. So it's just so <laughs> funny how parenthood is like this like consciousness about waking ourselves up and developing ourselves, but also like trying to raise and steward these these humans that we have in our life as well. So how do you think we can do that effectively? Do you have any tools and strategies for us? Um, for, for which part? For, for raising kids that we know are like us? Is that, is that what you mean? For, for knowing that we have to be the best version of ourselves, but also simultaneously trying to raise them. Yeah. So one of the things I think we have to realize, there's this concept that I teach called yuck. And yuck is a really simple way of describing discomfort. So, um, you know, when we're hungry or we're tired or we're stressed or we're overwhelmed, all those uncomfortable feelings, I call them yuck. And one of the things that we have to be aware of is our own yuck, what causes us yuck. And that when our kids are in yuck, they're actually not going to be the best versions of themselves either. So this concept is really important because whenever any human being is in a place of discomfort, for whatever reason, they really can't meet their full potential. So we have to really be aware of kids' yuck and we really have to be aware of our own yuck as well. Yeah. So, you know, I have this conversation a lot with my husband. Um, I'm a big feeler. There's a lot of emotions I feel, have always felt them. I don't want you to tell me to calm down because I want to feel my feelings. Like, you know, th- that was, that's me. I'm a, I'm a crier. My feelings are valid. Like these are all things I've said growing up and like even still today, but it's made me think, how can we raise kids that aren't afraid to feel and have emotions and get down into that? But how can we also encourage them to pull out of that as well? So I guess my question here is... <laughs> I actually think I can address even what you just said, because I think that is, that's like 
75% of what I do with parents, because what you just said was, how can we let them feel their feelings, but also not like sit, stay wallowing in our fe- in their feelings, right? Yeah, and know how to navigate their feelings. Yes. And like yeah. I said, that is so much of what I do, because what we find is that kids' behavior is better and kids meet their full potential and we meet our full potential when we can do that. So here's, here's what I would start by saying is that I think this is very difficult for all of us as parents because we as a generation, and Katie, you and I are in the same generation, so I would say our generation, we weren't raised by parents who helped us handle our emotions. So it's actually very hard for us to handle our kids' emotions. So what happens is our kids have emotions and we either over-identify with them. And we, you know, if they say, let's say someone was mean to me, we say, oh no, someone was mean to you. I'm going to go talk to their parent and I'm going to fix it. Or we minimize it and we say, oh, that's not a big deal. And very few of us know how to actually help our kids through their emotions. But what we really need to do in those moments is just let them know they're not alone with them. Let them feel those emotions. So if they say someone was mean to me today, we just have to be there and say, yeah, do you want to tell me about that? And even if they don't respond, I mean, obviously if they respond, we just want to listen and be there. We don't need to fix it. We don't need to solve it. We just need to be there with them. But even if they don't answer that question, even if they don't want to talk about it, our presence is very comforting. And when we are present with our kids and their emotions, it actually teaches them that they can handle their emotions. So ultimately, we don't want to you know, jump in and make a big deal out of their emotions because that would tell them that they should wallow in them. But we also don't want to minimize them. We just need to be there with them. Yeah. It's really hard as a parent to not want to be that fixer and jump in and in the deep end and, you know, know, grab them and save them. But I think the biggest thing I've always known is like, let's figure out how to our little humans to make these decisions on their own. Because, you know, I'll just be honest, like this week we had the first little incident at kindergarten where I come to find out this kid did something inappropriate and my daughter was a witness. And it was like, you know, mama bear gets in a really angry place. She's, she's ticked. But before I responded to my kid or showed any sign on my face, you know, it was making sure like I'm dealing with my own fear, which is I can't control what she sees or does or, but you know, the best, the only way I can control it, And I told my mom this when I told her what happened was, you know, the only thing I can do is equip her in those positions to make the strongest decision. And, you know, come to find out, she said she covered her eyes and told her friend next to her, cover your eyes. You don't want to see this. So it's like, okay, we're raising tiny leaders. That's the goal. And that's the only thing I can control and try to help her with. Yeah. And those are two, what you just said are two super important things that I talk about too, which is, first of all, we have to deal with our own stuff first. So when you hear your child going through something like that, absolutely understand that you're going to have emotions. You're going to be afraid and you deal with, deal with your stuff first. And I love how you said, and in fact, this is, I'm, I'm focusing on in my parenting academy on this whole entire thing this month, which is focus on what's in your control. Stop trying to control the future. Stop trying to control your child's happiness. Focus on what you can control. And that leads to the second thing you mentioned, which is you can control teaching your child the tools they need. And so much of what I teach too is about giving kids tools to empower them. Instead of fixing for them, which comes from our fear, we need to empower them and give them the tools to handle their emotions. Give them the tools, even as simple as giving them tools to you know, um, do boring things. A lot of kids actually struggle to do boring things, which is why we get into the power struggles over like chores and brushing teeth. And kids actually don't have the tools to do that or the tools to get off of their device when we ask them to. They don't have the tools to do that either. So when we focus on handling our own stuff and then giving kids the tools they need, 
it's amazing that their resilience increases, their confidence increases, their responsibility increases. And that's ultimately how we do that. Yeah. Can you give me an example of one of those tools? Like, let's say the kid is having a hard time getting off the device. That's like a struggle. Absolutely. I can give you examples of any of those tools. So getting off the device actually has to do with transitioning. And the human brain is actually not wired to transition easily. We are goal-oriented by nature. So once we are engaged in a task, it's very hard to transition out of it. So it's true of us too, by the way. Like if you're in the middle of doing something, you're writing an email or something, and your kids come up to you and they say, hey, mom, or hey, dad, it's actually very annoying. Because when you're in the middle of something, you don't want to transition out. So one of the things we need to realize is that the human brain craves closure. And so there are two two tools I'm going to give you. One is that if we actually create closure before a child gets on their device, we say to them, what is going to be your end point before they even start? You're going to have a lot less resistance. That's the first thing. The second thing you can do is if they're already in something and you didn't come up with an end point, instead of just like yanking them out of what they're doing and just saying, stop, come to the dinner table. If you actually say, okay, it's dinner time turn off your device, but tell me about what you were doing as we walk to the dinner table, then you're actually helping them more slowly disengage. They can still talk to you about it. And as they walk, they're actually going to disengage more slowly and efficiently, and you'll get a lot less resistance. That is so good. I am such a fan of transitions. (laughs) (laughs) If you were like in my living room with my two-year-old three years ago or four years ago or whenever it was, I was doing this really from the get-go because she needed it as the type of kid she was. She needed transition help, but I still do it today. And it's funny, my family, they do it. And the exam, the thing we do is, okay, we're leaving in five minutes, say yes. And I get her to acknowledge like this transition is coming. (laughs) And it's funny now that she's starting to be able to tell the difference. So that was a short minute or that was a long long minute. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, that's great that she actually is able to, when you say that we're going to end in five minutes, that she's able to recognize that. A lot of parents that I work with say, I give my kids the five-minute warning or the two-minute warning, and it doesn't help. And if it doesn't help for those of your listeners, the reason it doesn't help is because they're still engaged. And just because we gave them the warning doesn't actually help them disengage at that moment. So I'm glad your daughter um, isn't struggling with that still because that's a really, really effective technique is to give them the warning. But just in case some parents are still struggling, that's why. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'll say to the listeners, like it's, it's, it's never like a one size fits all or solution or even what works today is not going to work tomorrow. And (laughs) oh my goodness. So just be encouraged. Like these tools are all things that you can put in your tool belt to help your kids. Um, but don't feel any like guilt or shame around them not working. Would you agree? 100%. In fact, I think, um, feeling guilt and shame in parenting is one of the reasons we have that thing that I call yuck. And that actually doesn't help. I mean, it's hard not to go there, um, but it's really yuck and, and guilt and shame just make the situation worse because when you're in that place, you can't really think with the full power of your brain. So at some point you kind of have to say, okay, I, I feel guilty and I can either continue in this feeling or I can do something about it. And that's the part where I help parents. I say, okay, you're allowed to have that feeling for sure. Let's do something about it. Let's take action so that you don't feel so bad about it because feeling guilty isn't really going to help anybody. Hey, so I wanted to take a second, pop into this interview and just interrupt for just a moment, okay? So here's what I want you to do. I know you are loving this conversation today. I want you to screenshot your show 
right now, post it on your Instagram stories, tag myself and our guest, and share with us whatever ahas you are getting from this episode. We cannot wait to hear what it is you're taking away and also have the chance to reshare you on our social platforms as well. Okay, I'll see you on the gram. Back to the episode. So, you know, one thing I think is one of my strengths is I'm very aware of feelings, emotions, the rooted, like where it comes from. Um, And that's kind of been threaded through my whole life. But what would you say to the woman who's listening that's like, I don't even really know what I'm dealing with, or I don't even really know how to get to the root of this or how to process my own feelings and emotions, let alone parent my kid? Yeah, absolutely. And that is a lot of people too. So there are a couple of things you can do if you're just not even sure. The first thing you can try to do is start with your the thoughts. Thoughts are sometimes easier to identify than the feelings. So our thoughts are sort of our interpretation of a situation. And one of the, the um, exercises I do with the parents that I work with is I say, okay, take a situation and pretend you're writing a story about it. And this story is going to be done in a couple of chapters. The first chapter is your perspective. And just write about what happened from your perspective. And just think about the thoughts that you're having about that situation. When you explain it from your perspective, those are your thoughts. And then the other thing to do to, to start to understand your child's perspective is write chapter two from their perspective. And then you can start to see what you're thinking and what your child is thinking. And it's actually easier to go from a thought to a feeling because if you're thinking, I'm so, my, my child keeps doing that and they don't stop and I've asked them five times, you can see how that thought is likely to make you feel. And sometimes when you're identifying feelings from a thought, you can start very generally. You can say, does it, make, does it help me feel, I mean, does it make me feel positive or negative? Just start there. And then once you say that makes me feel negative, you can start with some basic emotions. Does that make me feel angry? Does it make me feel sad? So you can actually, I have worked with lots of clients to go step by step through this process. Yeah. So once somebody identifies that feeling, that thought, that feeling, yeah. what comes next from there? So to recognize that it, your thoughts really affect your feelings and your feelings affect your behavior. So if you want to behave differently, you actually need to work on your thoughts and work on what I call your, the story you're telling yourself about what happened. Because you can interpret a situation in many, many, many different ways, in hundreds of different ways, thousands of different ways. And that's why some people get really frustrated. Like, you know, maybe you have two parents and one parent gets really frustrated when their child has big emotions. And the other parent is like, what's the big deal? It's their child. They have big emotions. It's the story those two parents are telling themselves about the situation that actually impacts how they feel and how they respond. So once you can identify it, we can actually change our thoughts. We can change our stories. And that is incredibly powerful. Because if we want things to be different, knowing your story can absolutely make things different and changing your story can make a a world of difference. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've thought about is, is how it's taken me 29, 30 years to realize that thoughts are the start of all of this. So how can we begin to equip our children with that as well? Oh, that's such a great question. I love that you asked that because I think that's what we need to do. This is not counterintuitive, but I actually, in the, in the communication style that I teach the parents that I work with, and I have a really clear strategy, one of the pieces of this strategy is to connect with your child. And all that means is to see the situation from their perspective. And so let's say I'm going to use a, a clear example. Let's say you have a, a son who's mean to your daughter. And our instinct is to say to him, you can't do that. Stop being mean. But if you can take one step back and say to him, 
of course you were mean to your sister because she got too close to your toys. And you actually are not agreeing with his behavior because the, the next step is you're going to ad- address his behavior. But what you're doing there is you're actually helping him understand his own motivation. You're saying to him, you did this because, and then you can teach him something different to do. And of course, you're going to teach him something different to do. But just saying to him, this is how you, why you did this can start to help him see what's going on inside himself. And when he can be aware of what's going on, that's when he can act differently as well. So if we actually verbalize, and you can start to do this with like a nine-month-old, and you can even do this with a 25-year-old. You can say, ah, no wonder you got mad at me because you can do this no, no matter how old your child is, but this is actually start to teach them to understand what's going on inside themselves, which is such an important tool for them to have. Oh, yeah. That's really good. I'm like sitting here like thinking. <laughs> <laughs> That is like, that's really good because yeah, as even young adults, like I realized, like, why did I even do that? Yeah. But if you had somebody mirroring back and saying, okay, I understand like that ticked you off. Cool. Yeah, exactly. And that phrase, of course, is really helpful. The two phrases I teach are, of course, and no wonder, because what you're doing is you're actually saying, of course you did that because, and, and they really do start to see that. A, this is why I did it. And B, there's someone on their side. And that's actually a huge motivator when it comes to better behavior. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful because it's not only I see you, but it's like, I see you, but I also see you at this higher place. I want to call you to this different way to approach that situation. A hundred percent. And it's, I see you and I care about you. Because a lot of us, what we say as parents is we'll say, I know you wanted that toy from your sister, but... So yeah, you're actually reflecting what they did. You wanted that toy from your sister. The but implies, I don't really care why you did it. So we can say, of course you talked to her like that because you wanted the toy. That's saying, I see you and I actually care about your perspective. And of course, then we address the behavior and we say, this is how we're going to do it differently. But showing them we care is actually one of the foundations of healthy self-esteem as well. Yeah. Mm, That's good. So the other thing I want to address before we kind of wrap this thing up is this, the helicopter parent, does she still exist in 2020, 2019, 2020? And it's just this whole thought I've had of how I can't, nor do I want to shelter my kid from from the hard, right? There's yes. life is contrast. Life is good and it's hard both at the same time. There is a, Stephen Furtick said it beautifully. He said, there is wheat among the weeds. There's both. Oh. And I just love that. And so can you share with us how we can really embrace that contrast in parenting? Yes. So to answer your first question, not only is there helicopter parenting, I don't know if you've probably heard this newer phrase, we're now called snowplow parent. Oh, we, nice. we plow away everything in front of our children. Have you heard that one? No, but that's a great picture. (laughs) And I do think that I I work with so many, and where I live especially, we are all becoming snowplow parents. So I actually think it's getting worse and not better. And I really do think it goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning of our inability to handle discomfort. But when we can handle discomfort ourselves, it's not uncomfortable then to see our children uncomfortable. So it really does start with, handling discomfort ourselves. And let me just tell you one of the quick ways I help parents with that is actually I have parents, this is another exercise I do. Um, I have parents identify the type of parent they want to be. It's like an avatar I help them create. And I say, who do you want to be? If you didn't save your child, if you didn't overprotect them, what would that look like? And I have them actually identify those actions ahead of time. 
And then I teach them in the moment, just do the action you identified. It's going to be very uncomfortable. So let's say the action they identified was, I'm not going to fix this for my child. I'm just going to sit there with them. Then in the moment, even though their urge is to fix it, their urge is to do this, they actually just sit there ahead of time because they've already created this action. And they learn to become used to that discomfort. When they realize they can be uncomfortable and it will pass, then they start to become more comfortable with discomfort. And then we pass that on to our children. And we realize exactly what you described, that when children are uncomfortable, that's actually what builds confidence. Confidence comes from not I'm good at everything, but... I can handle it when I'm not good at things and I can handle it when I'm uncomfortable. Oh, that's good. That's my drop right there. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, so we, my husband and I went out of town for about a week and left the kids for like, for like the first time ever <laughs> with people that they don't typically um, hang out with. Yeah. So, and they switched between two different, uh, actually three different people because of schedules. And to have each of those people just give raving reports that they were confident. Like there was no, no like anxiety kind of thing. And that's something like I was so thankful for and I definitely prayed for, but I think it's, you're right. It's knowing that they can navigate the unknown and that's the confidence that 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 comes from. 100%, 100%. And a lot of kids these days are, I see a lot more anxiety in both parents and children. So that's a really good point that when we can become comfortable with discomfort, we're also a lot less anxious because the opposite of anxiety is really, I can handle this. And when we expose our kids to difficult things, what they learn is I can handle this. And that just really improves their resilience and their confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And anxiety for me, it actually creeped up this morning. It's very rare that it does come to me in a, in a place where it's like, oh, okay, that, yeah, that's anxiety. <laughs> but what's cool about the work I've done, and I just want to encourage those of you that are listening, if you feel that way, notice how you start to project yourself into the future. Like I was afraid for something that was happening on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> three days away from now. Yes. And that is exactly what anxiety is, is we focus so much on, on in something will happen in the future and I can't handle it. Because if you thought you could handle what was going to happen on Saturday, you wouldn't have anxiety. It's something's going to happen and bad things are going to happen and I can't handle it. And when we realize we can handle it because we have experience doing hard things, that's when we actually have less anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And in your whole thoughts, uh, feelings, behavior, like changing the thought, like I had my husband say, it's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Here's the evidence. Now all of a sudden my feeling is different. And then the behavior from there changes as well. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. Well, your work is so needed and so valuable. And I've just loved all of that you shared. And I would love for you to just end this little section um, talking about tools. Like what are some very, maybe you can just spit off a few tools that we can use to balance uh, being a strong and effective parent also while managing business and just the other areas of our own life? Yeah, I think the biggest tool just for ambitious moms is just so, and, and I'm sure, you, I know you've talked about this. I've heard you say this before and I've heard this a lot, but what I find is running a business and, and running a household is you have to be where you are. You have to be where your feet are. If you are always thinking about the other realm, it's you're just going to be miserable. So that's that for me is one of the biggest tools that I use about trying to balance it all. And just really being aware that your energy as a parent is going to impact your child. So when you are, you know, balancing multiple things, it's really about understanding how it's affecting you and being comfortable with setting boundaries, which are uncomfortable to set. And also being aware that setting boundaries doesn't all of a sudden mean, oh, I feel really good. Boundaries actually are really uncomfortable at first. And being able to handle that discomfort 
so that you can set those boundaries and be able to be in a good place yourself so that you can parent more effectively. Yeah. Being ready to execute on those little things, you know, being able to say, no, I'm sorry, here's the line, back it up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And realizing that at first saying, here's the line, a lot of people will say to me, well, Rachel, I set boundaries and it didn't feel better. No, it doesn't feel better at first. At first it's uncomfortable because you're not used to it. And there are people who get upset with you sometimes. And it's just realizing that you can be okay, even when it's uncomfortable, that actually allows you to continue to maintain boundaries. Yeah. For sure. Well, this conversation has just been so powerful for us to just have some tools and and thoughts in our parenting arsenal. That's kind of cheesy, but you know, (laughs) to just be able to manage our own junk as a parent so that we can raise, you know, strong humans as well. Absolutely. So one of the questions I know you probably know from listening to the podcast that I love asking, what are you reading right now? And then what is the best book you've read that you'd recommend to our listeners? What am I reading right now? You know, I'm right now I'm in sort of a nonfiction phase. Um, So I'm reading a book about how to incorporate story into your business. That's very honestly what I'm reading right now. One of my favorite books just is The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna was one of my favorite um, fiction books. And I read that um, from time to time just to keep it real and to help me put things in perspective that life can be a lot harder than it is right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's storybook. See, I'm normally a nonfiction girl and I get into fiction here and there. Like I recently read Where the Crawl Dads Sing and that was so good. Yes. Um, But I would love to know what that storybook is. Oh, you know what? I don't have it in front of me. So I'm going to have to let you know what it is. And I will definitely, I will let you know. So you can, you can add it to your show notes if you want to do that. Yeah. We'll link it up for everybody. Always a fan of stories and learning how to better tell stories and all that good stuff. So it has been so great chatting. I would love for you to let everybody know we can hear more about what you do, how you can help us in our parenting journeys and just connect with you. Absolutely. So my website is rachel-bailey.com. I have my own podcast that's about eight or nine episodes in at the moment. And I'm going, going forward with that. That is called Your Parenting Long Game with Rachel Bailey. And then of course, I'm on Instagram, Rachel Bailey Parenting and Facebook also as Rachel Bailey Parenting. Yay. I'm so excited. I did not know you had a podcast. That's exciting. Yeah. It's pretty recent, but it's awesome. I'm loving it. Yay. I love this, this platform and just being able to connect with amazing people. So yes, I'm for you. yes. Yeah. And people have been asking me where it is for years. So I, was, I finally just got on it and started it. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on today's episode. I am so excited that you got to hang out with us here today in your earbuds. And I want to help you get further connected into the Six Figure Ambitious Mom community. So head on over to katiefleming.co slash tribe for your own invite into the Six Figure Ambitious Motherhood community. I'll see you there.